To actually pay for sin requires the death of the sinner. And by these sacrifices, God is ordaining a way that we basically transfer our sins onto another. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we have Eric. Hey. We've got Karen. Morning. And we have Tracy. Morning. Good morning, everybody. So I want to take just a second here. We're, we are recording on the morning of Independence Day. And um, just want to take a second here because as imperfect as our nation is and all of the fluctuations that we're having right now, I just want to show, ex- express my gratitude at just the fact that we are able to get together and do the exact thing that we are doing right now. We're able to talk about our God, talk about our faith, and share it with anybody who will listen to it. And that's not the case in all the world. I think we're in one of the best places for that to happen. And um, it's it's one of the things that I love the most about where we live. And uh, so I, I am grateful for that. Yeah, likewise. And, and here's the great thing, Matt, is I'm free to disagree with you if I want to. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes that happens here. Oh, only a little bit. Not much. <laughs> but we keep it nice and civil. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. No, that is a great thing. We're, we are able to disagree and uh, and talk about it and discuss it and learn from each other. And it's a it's an amazing thing. Well, let's get into our topic for today. We're going to start in Leviticus chapter 8. Now, before we get going here, there is an anac- no, an acronym. That's not the right word. That's not even a word. There is an acronym for the word Bible that gets floated around by uh, some of the Christian population. And I'd like to say that it's basic instructions before leaving Earth. Now, I'm not a big fan of Christian cliches to begin with, but that one kind of bugs me a little bit. Because when you read through the Bible, there's very little in it that's basic. There's honestly, when you read through the entire Bible, there's not a lot of just straight-up instruction. And it's not all stuff for when we're not here anymore. So that whole thing kind of gets on my, my nerves just a little bit. However, when we read the book of Leviticus, it is chock full of instructions. And so that's the kind of thing we're looking at now. Now, last week... We were discussing the various, I don't even think it was all of them, but lots of the various sacrifices that the Israelites were instructed to do while out in the uh, wilderness, uh, in the wilderness of Sinai. And that was where all, all of this stuff started. And we were looking at how a lot of that pointed forward to Christ. Now, I was interested also in how different so many of those sacrifices were. Some were completely burned up some were burned up a little bit and i think everything got fire a little bit at some point but uh, some of it went to the priests and some of it was just uh you know don't take anything so it's just it was kind of interesting how how different how many different ways there were to make different sacrifices at that time so this week we start out now with the consecration of aaron and his sons to the priesthood now, Eric, I think you have talked before a little bit about uh, how we need to be careful maybe today talking about ordination and what's proper and not for um, for our clergy today. And this is 
quite the event that they had to go through to be anointed as priests. And if we were going to have to hold to this today, I think I think we would have a very interesting church service. What do you what do you guys think? <laughs> it would be a little messy. Yeah, a little. A little. And long, seven days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of animal sacrificing and blood getting put on things and sprinkled on things. And, and you know, who knows how long it took for those guys to have to get clothed and all the stuff. Um, fat, washing his, some intestines. Yeah. 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 So I, I think we have probably talked already a lot about how most of these sacrifices happen because it seems like there's variations of sacrifices that have been discussed already. They had a bull sacrificed as a sin offering. Uh, they had a couple of rams. One was offered as a burnt offering. Another ram was offered as a ram of consecration. And each one of these sacrifices uh, had different aspects to them. Uh, let's see here. First, before anything, Aaron and his sons had to be washed. And I'm generally when they talk about washed in the Old Testament, they're talking about washing them in water, mostly, mostly symbolic. But in the wilderness, when you're walking around in the desert, that probably had to be brought up a lot, I would guess, just because there's so much. It's just dusty and you're living in places we don't have modern plumbing. We don't have. You know, the modern bathroom, you can't just jump in a shower anytime you feel a little sweaty. So the idea of Aaron and his sons being washed, I'm sure, had practical purpose as well as spiritual purpose. Any thoughts on that aspect of it? Well, yeah, I mean, they're they're on essentially a at this point, how many months, three months into it, maybe Mm -hmm. camping trip. So being washed would be a moment of significance for sure. Yeah. Now, they could put on their. All their clothing, they'd have the, it's quite a quite the thing. Their tunic, a sash, a robe, the ephod, which we've talked about, the breastplate, which we've talked about, that had on it the urim and the thummim, mm-hmm. a turban with a golden plate on it. And that golden plate, if I remember right, I have to, without taking the time right now to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that golden plate had the words on it, holy to the Lord, and it would go yeah. right over their, their mm-hmm. forehead. So all of these things... Uh, had been specified exactly, you know, being made exactly the way God told Moses to do it and made out of things that had been brought with them from Egypt. They would go through an anointing process. They would start anointing the entire tabernacle with oil. I'm guessing olive oil. They would sprinkle the altar seven times. There's that number seven again that we run across. They would sprinkle the laver and its base, which is, if I'm not mistaken, sitting right outside of the tabernacle, inside the courtyard, but outside the tabernacle. Oil would get placed on Aaron's head. His sons would get dressed. So then we would have this sin offering. Now, it's sort of interesting to me to think that that the priest who is uh, representing Christ would require a sin offering, but then I stop and remember, yes, these are human beings, so if anybody really is going to need a sin offering, you would want the person is representing Christ and being your intermediary to have those sins cleansed. Now, Aaron and his sons, they would lay their hands on this bull, and then and then the bull was killed by Moses. And no, this I'm going to pause right there. I'm yeah, go ahead. Right there. Because the thing, a thing that we've read that's happened a lot, but I don't know that we've discussed, is what's happening when they're laying their hands on the head. 
Have we talked well, about that much? I don't. I don't know if we have. Because that that's that's a super important part of of what they're doing. And in some of the commentaries that I have read, and it's fairly consistent, is that this was a this was symbolic of the transfer of sin mm-hmm. from one to another. That yeah. that's that is, I mean, right there, that's a very clear that's a pictionary kind of a thing happening in the old testament here mm-hmm. but as we look at the at jesus sacrifice on the cross and his call to for us to give him our sins it is to me it's it's a very clear picture of the sins were mine and they were transferred to him mm-hmm. And we see this in Isaiah 53, I think it is. Um, and re- let's remember that all these texts that, that the New Testament writers are quoting are Old Testament texts. All of them. They, 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 you know, Paul wasn't quoting Peter, and you know, James wasn't quoting Paul as gospel here. They weren't citing Luke. And so all of these things that established the Messiah as the Messiah were Old Testament references. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is another reason why this stuff does matter. You know, we can look at this and go, ah, it's just a bunch of sacrifices and blood and blah, blah, blah. This stuff was the foundation of the Messiah's mission. This was the foreshadowing and the idea that sin was transferred to these animals, which were then sacrificed instead of the person being sacrificed. God doesn't want human sacrifices, be clear about that. But the the wages of sin is death. And so to pay, to actually pay for sin requires the death of the sinner. And by these sacrifices, God is ordaining a way that we basically transfer our sins onto another. And we have to, like we talked about before, it's not a magical act. It's an act of faith that I believe God will take my sin and transfer it to this animal, which will symbolically pay the price for me. Instead of me dying, the lamb dies, the bull dies, etc. So that's what's happening with this laying on of hands and the transferring of guilt. Somewhere in here, and I'm trying to figure out where I saw it, but there was a, maybe that was in last week's, there's atonement made for the altar itself. Yeah, that's in, that's in today's reading. It was so, in um, verse 15, I think. Okay. So that's a thing that... It's, it's an important thing that sins are transferred. Um, yep, you're right. It's in, it's in uh, 8.15. Anyways, I just, just wanted to say that that's, that's a thing to look at here as we're doing this. It's not just a... They're not patting it on the head. This is... This is mm-hmm. cut. This is one of the two most important parts of a sacrifice. One is the transfer of sin, and then there is the death of the, quote, victim. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I think that that's why the sacrificial animals were specified as being without blemish. Because, like, if I'm only required to bring an animal, any animal, like anything, anything can die but me and it pays the price, that's not quite right either. So right. it's supposed to be... Like, you know, this this sacrifice, this sacrifice without blemish, 
because it's pointing forward to the perfect sacrifice that will come. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it also has to do a little bit with just that um, not making something common like, you know, every or any animal that's in your in the herd that it's not going to have maybe that feeling of how do I put that less importance. So you really have to go after it and look for the one without blemish. It was probably held in a little bit higher regard and it was more of a sacrifice to give that up. It was more, um, yeah. I, you know, you're losing that effect. If it's just common, it's, it's not a big, it's not a big deal to give something up. That's not perfect. Yeah. Yes. And that, your, your word there to the common shows up in chapter 10, verse 10, making yep. a difference between the common and the holy. This is not a thing to pass over lightly. So you're right, right. Tracy. Right. Okay. Well, this is where things start to get kind of messy, I guess I would say, because this stuff is going to build up over time, too, because it's not like they came in and had had the, the cleaners come in at the end of the day and clean this stuff up. Some horn or blood would be put on the horns of this of the altar, and this was said to purify the altar. Now, that that is uh, that's counter to my way of thinking. Generally, when you, especially when we start talking into some of the the health issues they got to do later, it's like blood is like you got to stay away from it because blood is largely where a lot of stuff is uh, carried. And but here to purify the altar, they put some of the blood on those horns of that altar, and then they pour the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And this is said to make atonement for the altar. That kind of struck me interesting. We ju- you just mentioned it here, Eric, about atonement for the altar. But I suppose, I mean, all of this stuff, all of this stuff has to have some sort of a ritual clean, cleanness. That's, that, that sounds like a terrible way to say that. But uh, they have to be ritually clean. They, they need to be able to accept what's going to happen to them, I guess. Even though this is all ritual and it's all symbolic, this kind of needs to take place so that it's not just like we were just saying anything common or whatever. We've got to do something special with it. Now they're going to take the fat. Pretty much, it's just the fat out of the bull, and it's you know it comes from the around the kidneys and, and all these other places, all these different places, and they burn the fat, and that's all they burn on this altar. And I thought that was interesting too the sin offering you generally think of a burnt offering and this is not the burnt offering as the title this is a sin offering and they would burn the fat on the altar and then the rest of it the entire rest of the animal would take it outside of the camp and burned and now i just i wonder i wonder why the fat i don't have any idea why why the fat no idea but this is the way they would do it i don't know either now the second the second sacrifice that they would be make would be the first of two rams. And this one would be called the burnt offering. This specifically is the burnt offering. Once again, uh, hands would be laid on the animal. It would be killed by Moses. Then blood would be sprinkled on the altar. Then this one would be cut into little, pe- well, cut into pieces. I'm assuming, you know, you cut it into the various, you know, take the <laughs> limbs off, what's uh, whatnot. But you cut it into pieces. And then they would, would wash the entrails and the legs. Interesting. But I noticed here, too, did you see that they burn the head? This is, yeah. I don't know yeah. if this is the first time that I've seen this, but I've never saw that before. 
it being directly said the burning of the head of the ram. Yeah, yeah, specifically pulled that out, didn't it? I mean, the whole thing is getting burned here, but they did, I say they, Moses did make a point of saying that we're going to burn the head for the burnt offering. We don't have the insights onto this. I kind of wish, I wish we could have some more, some more insight into why all these specific things were done other than just to make them each one different and make each one, what's the word, specific from, from the other ones so that you know exactly if we're going to do a burnt offering, we're going to do it this way. If we're going to do a sin offering, we're going to do it this way. If we're going to do uh, this other one, they call it the third ram. It's called the ram of consecration. And we're going to do this ordination. One, or ordination, okay. What other words are out there? Garen, you got a parallel, I think. What exact text are you in? Uh, 22, 822. Then he, in, then he presented the other ram, the ram of NIV calls it ordination. New Living Translation calls it ordination. New King James calls it consecration. Uh, the message calls it ordination offering. Okay. okay. But ordination is consecration. So yeah. to me, I, I get that. So now sure. as we're getting into this, Karen, you talked once about where the blood on the lobe of the ear and the thumb yeah. and the toe. Yeah. Refresh us on that a little bit because it seems, well, for lack of a better word, bizarre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the so the the ear. So it was it was all done on the right side because the right side was considered the lead, the you know the take initiative, step forward, lead you through life. So right hand. Dominant. Right. Yeah, exactly. The big toe of the right foot. So the hand actions, the foot um, implementing decisions or obedience was what the toe was. Half and um, And then the, huh? Half and direction. Yeah, exactly. And then the mm. ear was symbolic of per perception and taking in God's instruction. I think I picked up somewhere also that uh, this, the, 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 the concept of, the word right being synonymous with the word correct sort of comes from this concept too. Well, maybe in our world, that, I don't know. If, that would make sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm talking today, not so much back then, but where today we say, you know, something is right. We're saying it's correct that it kind of stems from this concept. Could be. But yeah, they take this blood, they put it, it gets put on all kinds of different areas, the right ear, the thumb, of the right hand, the big toe of the right foot. I, I, I don't know. I guess if people are squeamish, close your ears here for a second. I used to go hunting with my dad as a kid and we were out and uh, dad had shot an antelope. And if you've been hunting, you know that you have to be pretty quick about how you prepare an animal. You need to get, you've got to get the, 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 all the, the parts that you're not going to eat. Those have to come out the, the entrails, the, the organs and that's, and that whatnot. So, so dad's preparing this animal. It's one of my first hunts with him. I'm standing right there next to him. Next thing, pretty soon before I know it, up comes his hand full of blood that goes right across my face. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh. Unfortunately, I've never been very squeamish about things like that. Don't put little bugs with legs on me, but I could take a, I could take a fistful of blood. Um, but, you know, I mean... <laughs> The only reason I bring that up is because that sort of was used as a rite of passage, you know, in that instance. And so it's kind of a similar thing here where this is uh, it's 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 pointing out that they have passed a particular 
point here and these guys are not just going to be the common guys in the camp anymore no and these guys had been with i think there were 70 elders with moses and aaron who had gone up to the i don't know if it's the foot of the mountain or somewhere on the mountain and basically had a dinner with god remember that yeah we read yeah. through that so these these guys were there for that so they've always been kind of in the the inner circle of leadership in this regard. And this ceremony is a big, big, big deal. Nobody's going anywhere. The whole camp yeah. is hanging around for this. And it lasts, uh, it's in verse 33, seven days. They don't even leave the tabernacle for seven days. Now, I think that means that the grounds of the tabernacle, right. because earlier it said boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So basically they're within the, uh, that, that wall outside walled area uh, yeah. for a full week in the and courtyard. This is the last thing that happens on day eight, isn't it? I want to um, say this day eight. Could be. I don't remember. There was something about day eight. Maybe I was reading it from a different part Let's there. I don't I, remember either. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. There's seven days for sure. They did all this stuff, and basically, and then it ends up, and Aaron and his sons did all the things that were commanded by Moses. Yeah, yeah. So after they get covered in blood, not covered in blood, but they get blood on them. The, the fat, the kidneys, the right thigh, one unleavened cake with oil, and one wafer. Sounded to me like it would be dispersed between Aaron and his sons. And this would be what they would call a wave offering. And I had to kind of look up what in the world is a wave uh, offering. Me too. Literally, literally, they would basically hold it and wave it in the air. Well, okay. So so what I found um, was that it's an, the, that the Hebrew word for wave is is translated more literally heave as in lift yeah as yeah. in it's a symbolic like here god this is yours and mm-hmm. then and then now i turn and i give it to the priests who are actually going to use it gotcha yeah so I I, that, was kind of, that was what i read about is that they would approach they would approach the altar they would lift it whatever it was in this case yeah. and and they wouldn't necessarily wave it but they would just lift it so, like, images of the Lion King and the baby came to mind, <laughs> honestly. Because it's it's like a, this is special, ta-da, right? And I then, so, God, this reference. is yours. And now that it's been symbolically offered to you, we're going to turn around and, and, and give it to the priest because this is what they're going to live on. Yeah. Right. And now, in this case, I don't, I don't know if this one, I don't know if this is one that they got to eat. I don't remember. I don't remember them talking about oh yeah 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 we'll get to that part here but yeah so they they get that those those particular pieces that were lifted or waved or heaved or whatever those pieces would get uh burned on the altar but then you would have another wave offering by moses where he would lift the breast of the animal there'd be some more anointing with oil and blood on the altar and then this this yeah this flesh would get boiled and eaten with bread uh, as a consecration, or this would be the consecration offering, but this would get eaten at the door of the tabernacle by Aaron and his sons. Now, I don't know if they got seven days to eat this stuff. I'm, I'm not sure because a lot of times if they don't eat it right away, it's got to get, it, it then would have to be burned. But then they would literally have to stay in this place for seven days. And it was said to make atonement and also so that you may not die. That was... That's that struck me as um, I don't want to say harsh. Harsh is the wrong word. It struck me as hmm, my thesaurus broke. Serious. 
it's serious. It's, a serious, serious. it's yeah. a serious thing. And I think that that's the reminder is that these, what God is trying to impress on them is you, because of your sin and transgression, have to die. This is a mm-hmm. thing that shows up again and again in the New Testament as well. Is you know, the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. And this is, and repentance and forgiveness is the way that this is averted. And this is, and so in that instance, that is no different than the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament here, they did not have the blood of Jesus to do this. The, these were things pointing forward to him. And I think that, I guess if there were a lesson to take from that, what you said, Matt, about the seriousness is that sin serious. It is a big yeah. deal. We yeah. see that later in our reading. Mm-hmm. So there was something, and, and I, when I read through stuff like this in the Old Testament that is, that is ritualistic and it has all of these steps to it that have different meanings and symbols that point to different things, there's, there's this kind of balance point that always comes to mind. And I'm not in my humanness. Sometimes I'm not sure how to balance this. So there's this, this is a very detailed, serious approach to God, to his will, to forgiveness. And then when you get to the New Testament and Jesus comes down as, and, is, and is the living embodiment of the gospel. Okay, so like that whole thing, everything we're studying now, this is one aspect of the gospel. And they're not messing around. You need to do these things so that you won't die. Um, and then Jesus comes down and he's like, no, let the little kids climb all over me, you hmm. know, and, you know, call, call me daddy. Right. So there's these two points of view. So, all right. So I, I lived in Alaska for a long time. And when I moved here, um, I had, <clears throat> I had two teenagers. And so we came from a church that was very casual. You could show up in a suit or you could show up in jeans. Nobody cared. Sometimes the kids and I would ride our mountain bikes to church. We'd literally show up in tank tops and shorts. Nobody cared at all. We came to a new state and we were unsure of what the attire was going to be at church. So the first time that we came to the church, we made sure to dress up. Hmm. Now, why do people dress up when they go to church? In college, it's in college. The joke is that you're dressing up to impress each other, right? But that's that's a that's a tradition. Like, why do people do that? And so my son very carefully chose out his clothing, and he wore like his very best. And yes, yes, let's just acknowledge this. Some of that is a teenage boy in a new community, unsure of what the local behaviors, acceptable behaviors are, wanting to fit in with the people. Okay, so then. He goes to church and he sees people wearing baseball caps and sports jerseys. And he was upset. And he said to me in the car on the way home, he was 15. He goes, well, I understand that not everybody dresses up for church, but it just seemed kind of more almost too casual. And I said, "Okay, all right. Here's two points of view. I'm going to go into God's presence to worship him. I should dress at my best and I should be 
my best because it is a serious thing to come and worship God. And he goes, yeah. And I said, okay, nothing wrong with that thinking. How about this one? I am going to go and worship God. He knows everything about me, even stuff I haven't admitted to myself. Human pretense does nothing. Go as I am. Why would I, why would I think to bring anything other than the messy reality that I am before God who knows better? To do other than that is pretense. You see what I'm getting at? Like, this is, to me, this is a tricky balance point. Like, God is huge. He's the reason we live and breathe. And and in other ways, like, he wants us to climb on his lap. You guys, you see what I'm getting at? Like, there's all this formal approach, like, to get the human in the right frame of mind, to, to get them to follow the order, follow, you know, Tracy spends, you know, he's, a, he's noticed this several times, like, God is a God of order. And so you step into this order and you do not violate it. It says it over and over. And then it being in Leviticus, I'm sure we're going to find it again. Do these things so that you don't die. Mm -hmm. Like, this is serious stuff. And at the same time, this is our dad and we're supposed to love him. Yeah. I personally find that tricky to balance. Yeah, I think it's an overall attitude to how you, how you approach God at any given time in your life. I mean, we go to church. There's there's times I'll wear I'll wear jeans and a you know a Hawaiian shirt, and there's other times I'll put on a suit. And it just I don't know. Sometimes it's just like, what do I want to present to God today? You know, today I feel like giving him a little something extra, or today it's like, you know what? This is just how what I am today, and and I know God's going to accept that that too. But go ahead, Eric. I was just going to say, there are certain things, as I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a valid question, Karen. And I think that that's a question that most people, myself included, have struggled with at some point. And I think it is, it's worth noting that some things God has specified. If you want to do X, you know, for me, here are the requirements. Mm -hmm. just, that's what they are. Yes, and in other in other uh, areas, he leaves it fairly blank. You know, it's um, it, the commandments. Let's just jump back to that: honor your father and your mother. Okay, I mean, we could ask for a lot more specifics. Like, okay, so what exactly does that mean in, in these cases? And it, and in some cases, we're given positive principles. In some cases, we're given principles to avoid things. In this case, with when it comes to worship, God says, here's how you do this. Now, there are many other things that were not specified. And there are things that appear to be, it's like, well, you did it this way. Now, let's talk about that. Let's not do it that way again. And some of it's for, I think that when God says, this is how you do it, it is our obligation to do it that way. And there are many, many cases where to Karen's example, how do we dress for church these days? It's not specified. No. And how do we address that? And I don't have the answer for anybody else, but is does how I dress match the attitude that I have of worship and interaction and my understanding of God? And I think if I'm thinking to myself, either to your point, Karen, how much can I impress God? Because look, he's, He's he knows everything about us and sees us at our worst. So in that sense, yeah, we're that's not going to work. Now, how much of this is just for other people? 
And some of these things is for us, I think, is it's like, how comfortable am I going before, you know, somebody in, in how I feel? And let's be honest about that. Some of these things are to make ourselves comfortable. You know, I, I personally wouldn't feel comfortable. Um, now, I have ridden a bike to church before, so I mean, done that. But when I'm not riding my bike to church, you know, a tank top and, and my old painting shorts is not how I feel comfortable doing that. And so for me to, to do that, I think would be not right based on what I feel. But that's that's in an area that's not been specified. Right. And mm-hmm. so much of what we're dealing with, and we're just about to get into chapter nine, and we, we need to, yeah, um, because we have nine and ten going on here. When God says, and I'm, I'm telling you to do this thing in this way, that actually matters. It does. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that actually matters. And we've seen, we see it show up again with, spoiler alert here, the Ark of the Covenant being moved into Jerusalem in the days of David and um, Uzzah touching the Ark. They told, do not touch it. That's why there's those rings that we read about and the the poles Mm -hmm. that are in there and it was covered. It's like that is, it was a very specific set of instructions. And the Mm -hmm. idea that you could just claim ignorance, like, oh God, I didn't know. It was like, yeah, it was there. Or I'm I'm trying to help you out. You know, I think that's where we find it again once when, when humans try to take control of the situation and feel that they could help God out by, oh, I was steady in it. No, it doesn't work like that. I'm in control of it all. You know, and I think, too, what we're kind of getting at, and I kind of see everybody's point here, is that, you know, I think it, too, is an, an outward expression that God had that this was his chosen people, and this was the way I want things done. It was ordered. It was a peculiar, you know, um, set of instructions, very specific that, you know, I think separated them too with with what was going on at that time, you know, with with worshiping other gods and human yeah. sacrifices where they are coming out of Egypt and, you know, the glitz and the glamour and and that kind of thing. It was like, no, this is what I want done specifically. Yeah. Simplistically, you know, um th- this is what it how it how it looks, what it means. You know, these are the symbolic things, the rams, the bulls, the exact way to sacrifice these things, the sprinkling of the blood, where it needs to go. It was setting them aside from the rest of the world. Good point. Yeah. And I I would imagine someday we will understand all of the aspects of this. I mean, we know enough to know that this it's a, such an interesting service because all of the implements in the in the tabernacle or in the sanctuary represent Christ. The priest represents Christ. The sacrifice represents Christ. Such an interesting uh, uh, thing that they go through for all of this. And so that's why it's very important to do everything exactly. And so I, I look forward to someday being able to maybe even just sit down with Jesus and go, okay, Jesus, why the fat? Why the kidneys? What, you know, and, he, and, uh, and he'll be able to say, well, it's because of this. And well, I think we'll all understand it eventually. Right now, we just need to know that, that they did it. Yeah, I ended. I thought several times the last few weeks reading through this stuff. I ended up thinking, I wish I knew an old Jewish rabbi, some guy who's like ninety-five years old and can just sit down and explain all this to me because I'm so curious what all this means. And mm-hmm. anyway, I mean, my anyway, first thought was something. I, that was just something I thought of. Yeah. Is it just it's like it's like there's this serious, important, ritualistic. You will do this in order to approach the throne aspect of it. 
And then there's the come boldly before the throne aspect of it. And it's like, whoa, whoa. Like my little brain sometimes goes, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it is an interesting dichotomy of our relationship there with God. Well, okay, so we get into chapter 9, and this is where the ministry actually begins. And this is where that eighth day that Tracy was mentioning comes up. And it sounds seems to me like there's another bull offered as a sin offering, this one specifically for Aaron and the priests. He offers a bull as a sin offering. He offers another ram as a burnt offering. The children of Israel are then supposed to bring a kid from the goats, a calf from the herd, as it said, and a lamb and all this. So the kid would be a sin offering. And then you'd have a calf and a lamb for burnt offering. And then they would have also a bull and a ram as peace offerings. I took that to be that you would basically have one sacrifice for the entire camp. Or do you think that that was like every, surely not everybody had to bring uh, their own sacrifice for this, for this one. I took that to be, it was like this, we're going to do this for everybody all at once. That would that's make more sense. Yeah, that, that's what made more sense to me. Uh, there was offered a little grain offering with some oil. They'd always put a little oil in there. And let's see, I don't know what the significance was here. So today the Lord will appear to you. This is in uh, chapter 9, verse 6. Remember why? Was it 9 6? I think I'm allocating the wrong place. No, this is the thing what the Lord's commanded to you, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. So. Uh, this is the beginning of, of all this stuff. And atonement was made for Aaron, and atonement was made for people. And then in 23, I think it said, the glory of the Lord appeared to all of the people, and then fire from God consumed, consumed the burnt offering. That was pretty cool. Yeah. As you're reading through, as you're reading through, at first I was like, okay, so they're, they're offering this burnt offering, which means they're going to burn it. And they're offering this, this, you know, all the, all these different things, but then you get to the end. It's like, and God provides the fire for it. Whoa, that would be, that would be something to see. We'll get to eventually. We'll get to a really cool story where God sends fire down from heaven for a sacrifice to, uh, to, in a little display of uh, power versus some of the pagan gods. But uh, that, that's another story for another day. So Leviticus. This, one, though, this one, it didn't come down from heaven, right? In 24 and 924, like they had the, they had God's presence with them all the time. There was the cloud, the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire. Mm-hmm. And so I guess when I read 24, that's how I pictured this fire came out from the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that, is, that, is that how you guys understood that? Yep. The presence was already there. This was an acceptance of the acceptance of the offering. Yeah, because 23 says the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and then 24, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. So whatever they were seeing there, then the fire came out and and took that offering. Would have been cool. Cool to see. Well, Leviticus 10 now, we get into a an interesting little story here, and it's a short story, but uh, it, it has some... I think some pretty serious implication of what's going on here. And we talked already about, about specifics. When God says he wants something specific, he's serious about that. And we learn a couple names here of Nadab and Abihu, who are sons of Aaron. So they have just been consecrated by this service. I don't know how long it has been since that service happened, but it says that they, how does it put it? 
took he his sensor. He took his sensor and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offer, offered unauthorized, or footnote, strange fire Fane. before the Lord. Yeah, mm -hmm. profane in my yeah, pro mind. Profane. Which yeah. he had not commanded them. Mm-hmm. And fire now, came out from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Yeah. So I think of a couple of things here. My first thought is I go all the way back to the beginning with uh, Cain. When he made his sacrifice, that was not authorized, I guess you could say, by God. We know it wasn't accepted by God. He didn't die for it, but he was certainly cursed for it. And here, these well, guys, he they're... He wasn't, he wasn't a priest. True. Well, true. Um, yeah. But neither was, uh, well, yeah, he didn't. Okay, I get what you're saying. That's why he didn't die. Yeah. Um, now that's, a, now, that's a worthwhile point. Yeah. Yeah. It's because, it's because Cain, although he did not do the right thing and it was, his offering was not uh, accepted, Cain wasn't, I mean, these guys at some point, we don't know how long, had just been set aside as leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an important principle in here yeah. is that if the people had seen God wink at, like, I ah, guys did the wrong thing. And I, even after I told you exactly what to do, it's like, meh, that's mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And God comes right out and says, this is exactly why I did this. He says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Uh, that really speaks to, you know, the idea of these guys. It's like It, it, it kind of sounds to me like they came up with their own little thing they were going to try to do. And yeah, you know, let's let's do this. This sounds pretty cool. Let's do this to honor God. And God's like, mm -mm, nope, didn't. That's not what I. That's not what I told you to do. And you guys are supposed to know better. And uh, you, you, this is not a time to be taking me lightly. See, and I think that's something that needs to be said there too. Is we always think of God as forgiving, and we He'll forgive our sins and our trespasses when we do this, but. I think it goes once again back to that point that, you know what, I'm making you a peculiar people. This is what I want done. This is how I want done. And the, and not following that is death. And it might not be the right time frame, but this just happened right after the big procession for them to, to stand out and be recognized as leaders and figures for the way the sanctuary was going to work and how to, you know, make all the sacrifices and everything. They were in high positions and God couldn't excuse it. It was it, to the point where, you know, it has to be done my way. And if I let you trespass, then it's going to, it's going to mess up everything. And it's going to be just another ritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it speaks to me too of about why, you know, whenever you read through the old Testament and people talk about how, you know, it was like we had this angry God in the old Testament. We have this forgiving God in the new Testament, but we have to remember that the old Testament is when everything was still relatively young, relatively new, and God was trying to get something established. And so it kind of required a heavier hand say to, to be able to say, I want, you guys to do this specifically it's very important that you do this you've got to understand that this is not the common thing going on this is not what everybody else is doing this is what we're doing yeah you know? yes and i and, think that's the key to it right there is like these people were supposed to be the light in the darkness like this is supposed mm -hmm. to be the one nation on earth that lives out and demonstrates god's way here and now and makes all the other nations go, that's different. 
and yeah. look for results I want back. That's what it was supposed to be was the light on the hill. Yeah. Right. You could, I can think of times, you know, there's times we've all had kids and the kids will be like, oh, but my friends do it. And my response to that is, yeah, but I'm not their dad. You're going to do what I want you to do. And I'm the one raising you. That's a unique point that you bring up. And what I was doing some additional reading this week about that, that's where the problem was, is that you see that Aaron, they're looking back at him and he did not have good control over his kids. It was much deeper than that, that they were, they were pretty much, you know, passed over on discipline. So they, they kind of did whatever they wanted to. And this was one of those things that when they did it to God, it was the point being made that, you know what, this isn't going to work. And you have to, you have to pay with your life, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, and it really made me think that if we look forward and especially too, with a lot of the priests and the leaders, they had trouble with their children. It's, they were managing the, the flock, but they were forgetting their specific children and their own family, which I think we see that even until today is yeah. that people in high responsibilities, high places of power and authority, sometimes they can't even rule their home because yeah. I don't think they put that attention there and then things fall by the wayside. The training falls by the wayside. Yeah. We see Eli's sons yep. in the future. I mean, two sons die um, on the same day. And it's said that he didn't, did God tell them, you did not discipline your, your sons. Mm -hmm. I can't help but think of David. I mean, right. David had terrible trouble with his sons. And this is also, I mean, there's more clues in here. Also, is it um, in verse eight? And the Lord spoke to Aaron and said, drink no wine or strong drink or you and your sons, you and your sons, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. Mm-hmm. I think that gives a clue as to what was going wrong in the first place here. It's right. like, um, don't get yourself drunk and do this. Like, because we know, okay, I had a cousin who's a mortician and a very interesting thing. He told me years and years ago, he said, when I first, first had kids, he said, you know what? If you have a choice to make, go ahead and let your kids do, do, do drugs, marijuana. If you're going to do a thing, because then they'll sit around their basement and just tell each other they're geniuses. <laughs> And and they won't do anything, he said. But if you if they drink, they will be dead, and I mm -hmm. will see them in my mortuary, because alcohol makes people do stupid things that they would not otherwise do. And that was a really sobering thing to me. I was like, wow, seriously? I mean, he's like choose drugs over alcohol because society's like, yeah, oh, go ahead and drink, it's no problem. But when you go back and think of the number of stupid things that people have done while intoxicated that they would not have otherwise done. It's kind of world changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of, one of the many clues here is that you were to distinguish between the holy and the common. That's verse 10 between the clean and the unclean. Um, and I think one of you guys pointed this out. I'm not sure who was among this is in verse three among those who are near to me. I will be sanctified. In other words, if if you know better, you need to do better. It is expected of you. If you don't know better, it's also implied in here, you're not going to be held to the same standard. And I think that Jesus, he visits with the woman at the well. She's she's had, uh, what, four husbands, and the fifth one that she's on is not her husband. He still talks to her. 
And when they start to have this conversation, he doesn't say, you know what, just kind of keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, that shows up in John 8, where he catch, when the woman is caught in adultery. He doesn't say to her, you know what, you're forgiven and just like, don't, don't worry about changing. Just say, keep doing what you're doing. It's all, it's all good. He says, I'm not condemning you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He's like, okay, where you were found, I will accept you. But I want better. I expect better in the future. Not, not, and that's not so that our performance earns anything. Is it's because, quite frankly, it's better for us. Right. And I think we have we have Nadab and Abihu here, who literally ate dinner, had a banquet in the presence of God. You know, chapters earlier, who were given very, 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 very specific instructions as to how to do these things. They took unauthorized fire because remember God kindled this fire back in the day. Mm-hmm. Remember that, and it was never to go out. Right. So there was the fire that God started that, that, again, God's saying, no, when it comes to the salvation stuff, I'm doing all the things. It's all me. It's all me. 100%. Yep. You you do the rituals that show that you're obeying, but the actual saving stuff, it's all me. And these guys bring in strange, whatever fire it was, it wasn't from the fire of the altar that God started. They're like, you know what? It's like, we'll bring our own version of it, which I think parallels Cain exactly. It's like, well, I know you said to a sacrifice, you know, of an animal and blood, but I'm just going to do my own thing and call it good, right? Not okay. You know, I think it, I just wanted to bring this up and see what you guys thought, but the whole wine and intoxication kind of thing. And we see in the New Testament where they kind of describe the wine as being new wine and fermented wine what do you think about that well i think there's definitely two different things they're talking about there you've got your freshly squeezed grape juice so to speak and then you've got then you've got what we more commonly think of as wine today i'm sure they had fermented Mm -hmm. i'm sure they had both in nine, they're most definitely drink no wine or strong drinks it's probably some sort of grain alcohol is is the alternative Mm -hmm. here because it's like, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. He's not just saying you can't ever do this or nobody can ever do this. But when we look at the implications of the choices that are made, you know, by by extension here, when they were drunk, which I believe mm-hmm. is what happened, it's a, is a, sorry, terrible pun, it's a sobering thought. well if you keep reading after what you just read it i mean it gives the specific reason it says this is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common between the unclean and the clean and so that you can teach the israelites blah 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 so now in the new in the new testament deacons leaders in the church are called overseers i've got this parallel bible that has these four different versions and one of them calls it, um, one, one version calls it church officers, other call it deacons, one calls it an overseer. And here are the qualifications. Above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? 
See, like, like this is this is. Car alarm, apartment living. Like that's that's <laughs> the that's the New Testament explanation of everything that's being instituted back here in Leviticus. Like this is what you're supposed to be like in order to be a leader in the church. And it's interesting. It's super interesting, Karen. I hadn't really thought about this. We think of the New Testament. In fact, we've just talked about it in this in this in our time here. Is the New Testament goes towards this kinder, gentler, yeah, to kind of do whatever you want thing in our mind. Except let's look at that. The text that you just read actually specifies and raises the bar over what we're reading in Leviticus. Yeah. Or it, or it, or it puts more flesh on the bones of it. That's the way I yeah. think. It's not actually saying anything different. It's giving like this sort of multifaceted explanation yes. of the exact same core. Yes, it's filling it out. But my point is it's not lowering the bar here saying, no. ah, that was Leviticus. You know, I mean, pretty much these days you can no. It's like saying, no, this is what this means. Yeah. So the sacrificial system went away, but the the behavior of a leader did not change. You know, and I think that just all winds into, you know, them being separate and them being a chosen, you know, generation. And, you know, even if you look at First Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's what he was setting up from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but I also look at this, too, and it really made me think that, okay, so Aaron, what was his role in all of this besides him not really maybe being a strong parenting figure to his sons, you know, and kind of setting them on this, you know, path of common and uncommon and doing what they wanted to do. But after this happens, you know, I was reading that he really couldn't grieve for his sons because they knew exactly the rules that had to be followed and they didn't. So if he had an open display of uh, grief and, you know, you know, I'm sure he felt sad. I don't think overwhelming sadness would be it, but that open display and maybe, you know, how they would grieve for, for lost family. He couldn't do that because then he'd almost be justifying what was going on. Yeah. He knew that they were wrong. All right, well, let's get into chapter 11 here real quick. This is this is a chapter that gets disputed a lot, I think, in modern-day society. Uh, but we're seeing some – we are definitely seeing some implications of some of this stuff right now. And this is the ideas of foods that were permitted or forbidden. Are bats on here anyway? Yes, they are. They are. <laughs> they are. They're, they're, they're classified as a bird. But uh, so the the beginning thing here, okay, we're talking about basic animals that are, that were allowed to be eaten. Anything that had a cloven hoof and chewed its cud. So some of the specifics told you not to eat them was camels, a rock hyrax, which is a cute little rodent guy. I don't know why you'd want him, you'd want to eat him anyway. He's just a cutie. The hare, so like rabbits, pigs. That one's going to put a lot of people's hackles up. But you were not supposed to eat them, and you were not supposed to touch their carcass if they did not have a cloven hoof and chew, chew its cud. So that would allow us things like cows, like deer, antelope, goats. Giraffes. Um, well, giraffes? I thought giraffes wow. were one of the ones to not eat. Oh, I don't know. That. I don't remember if that one was specifically pointed out. But when you look into the when you look into these kinds of animals and you look at how they process what they eat, it starts to make more sense about 
why they would have been allowed. Because like a cow, the cow will eat grass, which first of all, we can't eat. So there's that. And then they will chew it and they will swallow it. It goes through one stomach. It comes back up. They chew it. They swallow it. They chew it. It comes back up. You know, it goes through four times when they're digesting this grass or this hay or whatever it is they're eating. This they are pulling as much nutrition out of that as they pretty much possibly can. Whereas when you look at like a pig, say you toss something in their trough, their digestive system is very similar to ours. It goes in, it comes out. You know, there's there's less uh, there's less digestion process there. They're they're scavengers, uh, so you you don't know what they've been eating to begin with. All of these things. Generally, it seems like scavengers and carnivores tend to be the ones that were that they were told not to eat. But then, but then it's it's cool because there are outward manifestations of what happens on the inside, and by those outward manifestations, you know whether you can or you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to uh, a couple things here is that we can we can discuss the the ceremonial clean or unclean. Uh, Peter had a vision with unclean animals, and uh, it's interesting. People will say by seeing this, God made all things clean. That vision that Peter had is super clear that this is talking about people. That God is not calling people clean or unclean, which for the Jews was a pretty big paradigm shift. Right. Um, but there are health implications of this. Um, if somebody finds this in the distant future, and we talk about um, things that we should or shouldn't eat and the implications of these, um, in verse 19, uh, which I remember is in the uh, Veggie Tales Jonah story, as Jonah is singing this, the, a message from the Lord, he sings, don't eat the bat, don't eat bats, you know, this is we would have laughed about that before. And now in the middle of a pandemic that many people think was caused by a virus that jumped ship from um, bats to humans. It's not it's actually kind of has a pretty practical, serious implication. And mm-hmm. I have this this extends to these other animals and so on as well. The, the fish um, uh, and I'll mention some of the shellfish and pork, which is, I know people's favorites are like, it's so yummy. So are cheap hot dogs, but what makes them yummy is not good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I have, uh, had conversations. Okay. So I'm a commercial photographer and what was really interesting. This has happened more than once is I'm photographing in a cardiac rehabilitation center. They have a diet council as part of this. People have had heart attack. They've had clogged arteries and, Heart attacks are a big deal, right? They're a really big deal. And what they have to do to medically fix a person who's had that is no small thing. What blew me away, and this is not in any sort of Christian or Jewish hospital, is they sit down, and I'm photographing this for, for you know hospital literature and so on like this, and I say, just read through the stuff that you read through so it looks like you're busy, right? So it looks like the real thing when I do the photographs. And they started reading the dietary restrictions for people who have had heart attacks. You know what? It is almost straight out of Leviticus. I was absolutely floored. They're like, all right, here's the first stuff to go. Pork off the mm. table. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think I stopped them. I'm like, what, why? Like, well, the kind of cholesterol it has and the concentration that it has. 
and some other things about the meat make it one of the worst meats that you can eat. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Shellfish, boom, off the table. Crazy high and damaging things for the heart. I mean, this is that's just modern dietary science. That's not, But it just parallels what was coming out of Leviticus. And it blew me away. I had a conversation once at dinner with a guy who, he was a pretty staunch atheist. And we were talking, we were on the East Coast, and there was, everybody was eating shellfish around us. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pass. And he was like, no way. I mean, he wasn't just like, I'm going to pass. He was just coming down on these people like, those are the garbage collectors of the ocean. Those things concentrate toxins. Why would you ever eat? They were, you know, eating clams and whatnot. And I was like, whoa, dude, you're kind of hardcore on this. Where do you get this? He's like, it has to do with what's healthy. And I mean, he just like rattled stuff off. And again, he didn't know. He was like going straight through Leviticus. And I was like, what? How did he's like, and furthermore, I won't eat this, this and this. And it dawned on me like he wouldn't eat old tuna. He's like, I'm not going to eat old big tuna. I'm like, dude, OK, I never heard of this. Why? What? He said, because they concentrate toxins. The longer they live, the more they concentrate that stuff in their in their tissue and they have no way to get rid of it. And I was like, wow, okay, so there's a thing, brings up two things. One here is God knew what he was talking about for health reasons, aside from the clean and unclean, all that other jazz, is it this, this would make people healthier and live longer. The other thing was that do we stop there? Do we seek to say, well, how low can we put the bar? Because this guy was, this atheist guy, who I'm sure never read Leviticus, was going by all these Levitical things plus some because I said because these are the things they're just not as healthy as other things and so I'm always going to make the healthier choice and it made me think it's like wow am I going to draw the line the, the the bar as low as I can put it or am I going to go with the best that I can go with there you go all right so seafood I guess we could get into or talk it talks about specific you needed to have fins and scales. So again, like catfish, a catfish does not have scales. It's got a skin. Sharks have skin. They don't have scales. I mean, if you think about turtles, they don't have either one, you know? So, I mean, it's, when you look at it in a biblical sense, and they talk about fish. They're pretty much talking about anything that's in the, you know, that's, that's swimming in the water. Now, here's interesting, though, is that not only are you not supposed to eat them, but their carcass is an abomination to you. Don't touch them. Now, you remember when we were talking about the roof of the tabernacle, and how how some of those it was talking about dolphin skin on the roof of the tabernacle. I go back to that dolphins or manatees. Neither one because, of these, would be, yeah. yeah, neither one of these would be considered a clean animal that they weren't even supposed to touch when it was dead. So I still question whether dolphins is the right translation there. And I and uh, well, I, I could see cows. Yeah, that well, that was when we. I think you were gone that week, Eric, and. Um, that was one that we talked about as a possibility, but nevertheless, they weren't even supposed to touch these animals. So it seems unlikely to me that this would be the roof of the tabernacle that is representing, that's covering that most holy place in, in the sanctuary. Yeah. Anyway, that, the side side note, I think I just one of those little interesting discrepancies in the translations. Well, uh, and to, the, to that point is that they weren't supposed to eat them or touch them, and then they were to be unclean until evening. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't like some kind of lifetime curse that they would get for right. carrying a dead bat out and flinging it to the trash heap or something like that. They're like, don't you. So basically it gave them the ability to clean, to camp, to remove these things. 
but it wasn't a lifetime thing, but it would be, it would also say like, no, you're not going to have this as a pet. Yeah. You know, and this, this brings, let's think about this just to flash forward a little bit. There's the story of the prodigal son. The mm -hmm. prodigal is feeding pigs daily. So he's unclean every yeah. single day. Mm. And okay. he's, he's um, longing to eat what the pigs are eating. So the Jewish audience would listen to this and go, he's with pigs every day. And the point is, is that this, this, the father in that story welcomed him back with open arms, no hesitation. Mm -hmm. I don't get that he would have been unclean every day for being with pigs that were alive because yeah. it definitely yeah. seems like you would be unclean if you touched a dead pig yeah but, whoever touches their carcass will be unclean uh, okay but but still the idea that they were with pigs at all i'm sure would have been good point a social anathema for for the people yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i buy that but yeah so yeah it was it was probably not considered real cool for a jewish guy to be with the pigs every day uh well, specific oh go ahead karen so it like there's there's a lot of detail in this chapter, and I, I remember getting into a discussion with somebody who had walked into the Alaska church that I used to go to, and they they were a, they were a stranger, they were not a member of the church, and they specifically came in to ask questions about clean and unclean meat, like where does this church stand on this issue, and they they wanted to argue the details of each animal, and and so I. I did not want to argue the details of each animal, but I happened to be the one that they talked to when they came in the door. I am not a scientist. I am not a biologist. I did not want to try to have that kind of conversation. They were not either, by the way, a scientist or biology biologist, but they did want to argue. So basically what I came back to is this is a framework for me. For me personally, this is a framework question. Do I believe in God? Do I believe in a creator God? If I believe in a creator God, then that God created the animals. If that God created the animals and said, these are the ones that it is okay for you to consume for food, and these are the ones that it is not okay, at some point I have to acknowledge the fact that he's going to know more about the animals than I do and follow that. And like what Eric was saying to me, this is a good, better, best thing. This isn't a matter of salvation. This isn't a, you know, there, this isn't this isn't something like that. This is a good, better, best set of choices that you make within God's advice. And there's all the Bible's full of that kind of stuff. This is how you treat each other. This is how Christians act. This is how blah blah blah. This is what you. This is how you eat. Right. There's all of this stuff. And and to me, that's what this is. It's a framework question. Is God the creator? If God is the creator and he made these animals and he says, do this and don't do that as far as eating goes, then to me, that's fine. Like, I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. going to wring my hands or look for loopholes because to me, that's a science and a health thing. If he made them, he knows them. Yeah. Yeah. And let's point yeah. out that this is this is not new. This is not the first time this has shown up. No. Right. If you go right. back that to Genesis a... seven, I have a note seven two. This mm -hmm. predates the Jews. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This predates Abraham. This idea that yep. there is a distinction among the animals. Well, Noah. Noah knew that's which animals were clean and unclean. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I mean. Noah didn't go out and even gather up gather up the animals. God sent them, and that's how they showed up in yep. collections of clean and unclean animals. Well, some other things, birds, they, he doesn't give us, it's interesting, we don't get specific 
uh, or we don't get um, attributes of birds to look for here. He just yeah. we're just flat out given certain birds. Don't eat them. Eagles, yeah. vultures, buzzards, kites, falcons, ravens, ostrich. I have eaten ostrich. It was interesting. Don't don't go out of your way. <laughs> owls. <laughs> all kinds of yeah. There were all kinds of owls named. Uh, seagulls, hawks, jackdaws, storks, herons, hoopos. You ever seen a hoopo? What's a hoopo? <laughs> it's a it's a colorful little bird with the feathers that'll that it can stick up on its head that look like looks like little hands, kind of like a like a cockatoo. Huh. I, yeah, if you just Google it real quick, you'll and look up hoopo. They're cute and little the birds. Bat. Yeah, hey, and then the bat. Bat. It is funny okay, to me so... that the bat was like I think the last one on there. It's it like, is. We eat bats, and today we're like, oh well, yeah. <laughs> so has has okay sorry really quick side note this week i noticed in a handful of change that i had some brand new shiny quarters and i was like oh is that the 2020 quarter what did they put on the back of it it's bats yeah <laughs> yeah well you know bats have an important function in in biology so do these um skinned or unfinned um you know shellfish and so on and so do the other things you know cats are not mentioned here but they don't fit the clean things all of these have a function in biology mm-hmm. and so it's not as if they are useless that he's just saying they're not food for you don't eat them <laughs> let them right. do the purpose don't eat them yeah now oddly by our standards today it's okay to eat certain bugs I'm not going to go out of my way to look for locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers to eat them. But if you want to, God said they were okay to eat them. Yeah. That's I, uh, drastic times, drastic measures. Oh, uh, I guess. I'm like, yeah. mm, pass. But, and crickets. Um, oh, my gosh. Crickets are on there. Huh. Yeah. So yeah. that's where this is one of those things where I say just because I can doesn't mean I will. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> there are people now, though, that are trying to push the idea of of eating bugs cricket uh, yeah as an alternative to other like red meats and stuff yeah, because you know raising cattle really is kind of bad on the environment it takes so much land to raise yeah. a beef compared to uh you know if you were if you were going to plant the same amount of land in edible vegetables you could feed far more people than oh, yes than than growing one cow yes um, and so some people are trying to press this idea of eating bugs, but I, nah, <laughs> I don't, you know, until I, I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. I'll, uh, I'll stick with my, with my environmentally unsound, uh, medium rare steak. Thank you very much. Um, though they're very, anyway, there's all kinds of things. There's more animals listed. Most of yeah. them are animals that we wouldn't ever think about eating mice, lizards, um, all kinds of different things. We talked about, being unclean till evening. It's and worth, can, I I think, read, can I read like one text that's later in the chapter after the big long list of animals? You do. Down, down in like mm, verses 43, 44, 45, it yep. says, it actually starts in 44. Here's like the gist of it. Yep. I am the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Yes. Yep. Yes. Again, who's your dad? Yep. That's the bottom line. This is the bottom line. I'm making you a separate people. Now, let me come right out and say, I have not always held to all of these rules. 
I can't say that I even always hold all these rules today. I'm a sucker for pepperoni. It's my, it's a vice for me. Um, Matt, bacon, make turkey pepperoni. Don't be gross. Oh, I know, I know, and it's really good. It's a good, it, yeah. When we have it I'll here at the house, have right. turkey pepperoni. But uh, <laughs> just, to, just you know, letting everybody know, I'm not playing a holier than thou thing here. Um, I can take or leave bacon. Surprisingly, a lot of people just absolutely love bacon. It's like you see things of everybody's putting bacon on absolutely everything these days and uh yeah i can i can kind of take or leave bacon but i but anyway you know i'm not not trying to say do as i do do as i say not as i do or just uh just recognizing that god has said that there's something better and um it's going to be better for your healthy and it's not it's not about salvation it's about it's about your personal health it's about how are you going to feel how are you going to function how are you going to be able to um just live you know and your body is the temple of god so give that some respect yeah Mm -hmm. exactly okay well the last chapter that we had planned for today is chapter 12 and there's it's a pretty short chapter we don't have a lot to talk about here but basically rituals for childbirth if a woman had a male child she would be unclean for seven days you contrast that to if a woman has a female child she would be unclean for 14 days well, and then the follow-up period is double as well. Exactly, the, yeah. The bleeding, the bleeding period that requires purification is 33 days for a male child and 66 for a female child. Mm-hmm. Now, our, our, our first take on that might be somehow that women were, or that girls were somehow inferior to cause a woman to be unclean for twice as long. But I think we have had a discussion on that, maybe not on the podcast, but I think amongst ourselves. We were talking about how by allowing a woman to have that extra time with a daughter, it really was kind of giving them a little extra respect. Because, you know, after eight days, that boy, he'd get taken, he'd get circumcised. But giving a woman extra time with a daughter, it was sort of like almost a, you have to allow them more bonding time, maybe. I don't know if that for sure. I don't. You know, I mean, I read the thing and it, it's at first it's like, man, why would a woman be twice as unclean for having a having a girl as as a boy? I don't know. But I think I think that might have something to do with it. Just to allow a little more bonding with between a mother and daughter. Yeah, I, I, I don't I had the same question, too. I'm like, I, I don't understand this science or symbolism or whatever. And the unclean thing, let's keep that's not to put too fine a point on it. But basically that's saying to her husband, hands off. Mm-hmm. Um, for minimum this period of time. And back in the, the latter part of chapter 11 is a lot of stuff having to do with germ theory. It's like, hey, if a dead animal falls in your, in your bowl, um, you got to wash it. I mean, how yeah. would they have known that that was a thing? I mean, you can't see germs. Yeah. And, and so there was a lot of this like, hey, and it's very specific. You can go back if it falls in earthenware, you got to break it. If it's, a, if it's a metal pan, you wash it. Which is, we look back now and we're like, well, duh, because the earthenware thing could absorb the germs. and you Permeable? Just... Sorry? I said permeable? <laughs> yeah. And so these are mm. things that we look at and we're like, well, yeah, that's why. Because it's germ theory. And they had no idea that that's why God was asking them to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I look at, this is one of those cases where in 12, I'm like, I don't know any science that says this is why or not why. But you know what? If I'm looking through the Bible for everything to say, how low can I make the bar? How much can I get away with? <laughs> yeah. Then I think I'm headed in the wrong direction. Exactly. 
exactly. Yeah, it's just a, it's a point of interest to look at and and speculate why we probably don't really know why we do know that it was a different society. Women were viewed differently. And for whatever reason, God worked within that parameter or or whatever. And, uh, and I he, think it also goes to just faith. You know, I just do what I'm asking you to do or telling you to do. Trust mm-hmm. me. Believe in me. Yeah. Yeah. So another yep. thing in, in 12 that's pretty cool is actually verse 8. Mm-hmm. If she can't afford a lamb, then take a turtle doves and pigeons. And this is cited in Luke of Mary. Right. So Luke goes back and cites this as to why Mary took this particular type of offering for the dedication of Jesus, which is, I don't know, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I think we talked, it might have been last week we talked about this, where the idea of having your sins forgiven was not based upon your ability to make make some kind of financial payment for it. It was it certainly was going to cost you something. It had to cost you something, but it didn't have to cost you everything because God really wanted you to be able to take part in this and be a part of it. So yeah, and that is the God we serve. He is not a God of just rules and regulations. He is a God of grace and and love. Well, I think that is going to be the time we have for today. Next week, I think I want to try to go up through about chapter 17. As I'm looking here, the topics are going to be pretty interesting. We are going to end up talking about the Day of Atonement. And that chapter 17 is the Sanctity of Blood. We'll see if we get as far as that, because the Day of Atonement is a fascinating study. It is really interesting when you look at that and the entire uh, the entire uh, story of salvation and the plan of salvation and how it relates to Christ. So we will be looking at, I think, 13 through 17 next week. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments at all for us, keep in mind that you can reach us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can find us on Facebook. Look for Adventure Through the Bible. Please be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Help us to get this word out. And be sure to uh, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and various other places. Uh, We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.